This is the Gathering Ottawa's Message Podcast, and we've got another great message for you. For information about us, check out thegatheringottawa.com. To get connected, email info at thegatheringottawa.com. And just know that at The Gathering, we exist to connect people to the love of Jesus. So let's get right to it. Sunday of 2023, a series that's all about being intentional about following Jesus this year. And in specific, we're talking about three ways, three goals in our life with Christ as we follow Jesus. You can see our mission as a church is that we exist to connect people to love of Jesus. You hear us say that every single Sunday, but it's not just that. It's so that they would follow Jesus. Right? We don't want just to experience the love of Jesus. We want to be committed to following Jesus with our lives. So what does it mean to follow Jesus for us? Like a lot of people talk about following Jesus, and I'm a follower of Jesus, and all this kind of stuff, but it's kind of nebulous. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus for us? It means three things. It means orienting our lives around three goals. Number one, being with Jesus. Number two, becoming like Jesus. And number three, doing what Jesus said. That's what it is to be a follower of Jesus. And so as we enter into this New Year, we want to take some time to reflect on those three things together, to look back on the year that was and consider how are we doing with these three things in these three areas. And as we look ahead to 2023, how can we be more intentional to live into these things together as a church community and as individuals? And so this morning we're focusing in on goal number one, being with Jesus, which quite simply, out of John 15, is all about abiding and remaining in Christ, spending time in his presence, spending time in prayer and scripture and worship of him. Because at the end of the day, spending time, quality time with other people, that's how relationships grow, isn't it? I was thinking about that, and I was thinking back to uh, Kim and mine's relationship when we were first dating some 20 years ago, which I don't feel old enough to be able to say those kinds of things, but it's been 20 years uh, since Kim and I, it'll be 20 years this year in September, our, our wedding anniversary is in September. You might want to put that in your calendar so you can get us a gift, just saying. <laughs> but uh, 20 plus years ago, as we were dating, uh, we had to be really intentional about spending quality time together because our, long, our, our, our relationship was sort of a long-distance relationship of, of sorts. She lived in Tilsonburg, Ontario. How many know where Tilsonburg is? Yeah, a few few people know where Tilsonburg is. Uh, Stompin' Tom Connors has a song about his back still aching when he hears that word. If you know Stompin' Tom, okay, that's where Kim was from. Uh, I was from St. Catharines, home of Walter Ostinick, right? The Polka King. How many know who Walter Ostinick is? Yeah, like three people. <laughs> Data's because he's from St. Catharines. St. Catharines, the home of the, like, he won, like, three Grammys and was nominated for 25. Get with it, people. <laughs> but uh, there was about a two-hour two drive, hour 45 uh, drive in between Tilsonburg and St. Catharines. So what that meant is that we only got, really, to hang out together on weekends. We didn't get to do the pop-by visits during the week or the quick coffee visits or lunches or things like that. It was Saturdays or weekends. And so we just had to be really intentional about planning our time together on the weekends. And I remember um, one of the first dates that we went on in Tilsonburg area when I went to her. Uh, we, and <laughs> it was 
pretty funny. She was embarrassed. I think she, she didn't know what to do. Like, what is there to do in Pilsenberg, I guess, right? So she's like, Mom, what do I do? I got this guy coming on a date for the other day on Saturday. And she said, take him to Elmer, Ontario. There's a corn maze there. He'll love it. And then you can take him to this country diner nearby there. And then there's this play at the local Mennonite church about the history of Mennonites. He'll, he'll just love it. He'll love it. He'll want to marry you after that day. So that was our, like, one of our first dates was going to this corn maze and then going to a play about Mennonite history. And we're an MB church. We're Mennonite brethren. I was an MB at the time. I thought, Who, what is this? What is happening right now? And I remember her being all embarrassed. She would say, you probably think I'm some hick. <laughs> you think I'm some country girl taking you to all these things. But it was fun in the end. It was fun. It was a unique date, very different than our other dates. And it created a good memory. And looking back on that season of our relationship when we were dating, I'm actually kind of grateful for those kinds of moments and that we lived a distance apart from each other because it made the time we had together extra special, right? We had to be really intentional about it. Sometimes when you're in the same town, you can take each other for granted. We didn't get to do that. This leads, I think, to a really important principle about relationships in, in general, foundational principle that I want to think about before we get into our text here for this morning, and it's this. It's that if we want to have a close relationship with another person, we need to be intentional about spending quality time with them, right? This is just the way relationships work, isn't it? If you're in a dating relationship, you know this is true. If you're married, you know it's important to plan date nights and to spend quality time together, not just in front of the TV, but actually being with each other. If you're a parent, you know that if you want to have a good relationship with your kids, you've got to be intentional about spending time with them. If you want to be a good friend to someone, it means going out for drinks or for coffee or whatever and being intentional to spend time with them. And you know what? If you want to be close to Jesus, you've got to be intentional about spending time with him too because that's how relationships work. And so this morning, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about spending time with Jesus, being with Jesus, and being intentional to orient our lives around time with him, around being with Jesus in prayer, in scriptures, and in worship, quality time with him, because we know that that's how our relationship with Jesus ultimately will grow. So then, with that in mind, I want to invite you to open your Bibles, if you don't already have them, open to the passage that Lori just read for us in John 15, we're going to work through verses 1 through to 8. This is part of what's known as uh, Jesus' farewell discourse. as He's speaking to his disciples, preparing them for his eventual departure, which actually you know, is just about 24 hours before the cross. So he's getting them ready for what's to come in the coming days with his death and resurrection. So let's look at verse 1. Here's what he says. He says, I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. It's an interesting metaphor, isn't it? I am the true grapevine. This is actually the seventh of the seven I am statements that Jesus makes in the book of John, where he talks about I am. I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true grapevine. All these statements pointing ultimately to his divinity. Dan, Pastor Dan, talked about this in the summer, if you were with us this past year. He talked about all seven of those I am But it is an interesting statement, isn't it? I am the true grapevine. What is he talking about here? Well, many scholars believe that Jesus actually made this statement as he and his disciples walked by 
the temple on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane. And when they looked at the temple, what, what they would have seen, and I think you can see a picture here on the screen here in just a second, they see along the top of the temple a, a grapevine etched in, in gold around the temple. And they would see a golden grapevine draped over the pillars of the temple. The vine being a symbol for Israel, the covenant people of God. We see this all throughout the Old Testament, where in Isaiah 5, for example, we read there about how God planted Israel like a vine and how he tended to it and cared for it and provided for it, even though, in the end, Israel did not produce the kind of fruit that God expected it to produce. We see this quite clearly in Isaiah 5, verse 2, where it says this. It says, He waited for a harvest of sweet grapes, but the grapes that grew were bitter. And so when Jesus says here in John 15, when he says, I am the true grapevine, what he's really saying is I am the true Israel. And I will do what Israel never did. I will produce the fruit, the grapes, the crop that God longs to see produced in and through his people. I'll be the one through whom which redemption and healing and forgiveness comes in to the world. I'm going to do what Israel could not do because they were just humans. And he is not. He is the great I am. Look at verse 2 now. Jesus talks more about this fruit and how it's going to be produced. Jesus says, he, God, the gardener, he cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't bear fruit. Now, what is he talking about here when he talks about fruit? Well, in part, he might be talking about new believers, right? Like, if you're a follower of Jesus, you should produce more followers of Jesus. That will be the fruit of your life. But primarily here in the New Testament, what we see when we see the word fruit mentioned, we see fruit being in reference to primarily our character and the character of Jesus within us being put on display through our lives. Things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness. Things that the Apostle Paul calls the fruit of the Holy Spirit in Galatians Five, and you actually see Jesus kind of hinting at this in verses 9 through 17. We won't look at it, but he talks there primarily about love. And love being the, the fruit of our lives. If you love me, you will love one another. That's what he's talking about here. It's the, the character that we put on display in our life. That's what fruit is here in this passage. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, Jesus says. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they'll produce even more. Now what's Jesus talking about here? Well, he's talking here, in part, about how this is the way fruit is produced in your life. The, the character, the, the nature, the love of Jesus. This is how it's displayed and produced in your life. He talks about two things in, in particular, and Lori talked about one of them already a little bit here this morning. Two things. First thing he says is he cuts every branch of mine, of his, that doesn't produce fruit. Now, what's this mean? To cut, to, to cut off vines that produce, or branches that do not produce fruit. Is it that as Christians, we've got some sort of fruit quota? You know, and if you don't produce enough fruit, that's it, you're out of here. Like, sometimes people take this verse, they, they reference it as a verse for, like, this, is, this means you can lose your salvation. Like, if you don't do enough for God, if you don't see enough believers come to faith in Christ, if you don't invite your neighbors to church, if you're not good enough, kind enough, loving enough, God's going to cut you off. It's kind of a confusing verse because it kind of seems like that's almost what Jesus is saying. If you don't produce fruit, 
you're out. God will cut you off. Well, the Greek word that Jesus uses here for cuts off is a word that actually has two potential meanings. It could mean to take away or to cut off, as the New, Trans- New Living Translation and other translations put it. Or it could also mean to take up or to pick up and to prop up causing scholars to argue, many scholars to argue, that a potentially better translation of this verse would be that he props up or lifts up every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, as this is literally what great farmers and vineyardists would do in the first century and still do today, taking a branch from the vine that was growing towards the soil or was growing along the soil, and they would come and they would prop it up with a rock or a stick. And maybe even tie it to the trellis or to the vine so that when the fruit would grow, it wouldn't be growing in the soil and spoil and get rotten and all this kind of stuff. Prop it up. Which I think is actually a a great picture of what God does for us who are in Christ, isn't it? For those of us who are connected to the vine where he comes alongside of us in our sometimes fruitless, sinful, struggling state. He doesn't cut us off or disconnect us from his life, but he lifts us up and he supports us by his great grace. Sometimes we think, man, yeah, if I don't do enough for him, I'm out. If I do enough bad things, I'm out. And there's a place for maybe the conversation about being cut off. I think Judas Iscariot, one of Jesus' disciples, the one who betrayed him, probably knows what that felt like to be cut off. But to think about, instead of him cutting you off, think about him gently pulling us up and connecting us to the vine, supporting us so that we could be fruitful for him in the future. Isn't that a beautiful picture of God's grace? What does that look like in your life? Maybe he props you up in your place of struggling. When you're not feeling his presence, his life, he props you up, holds you up. That's the first thing Jesus says God will do in order to see fruit produced in us. He will cut off or prop up every branch that does not bear fruit. The second thing, and Lori talked about this a little bit, is that he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they'll produce even more. Now, what does that mean? That he'll prune? That doesn't sound like fun. He'll prune us. Well, quite simply, what this means is he will discipline or correct or maybe even cut us, not to kill us or to injure us, but to cause us to grow and to make us more fruitful in him. Hebrews 12, verses 7 through to 11, which we won't read, it talks about this, saying that God disciplines those he loves. So good news, when you're going through difficult things and you're being pruned, it means God loves you. Because just as a parent disciplines their child, um, so God, our loving Father, has to sometimes discipline us. Not necessarily because he's mad at us. Not even necessarily because we've done something wrong but because he knows that by disciplining us as a loving father, that that's how we'll grow. That as we grow in him, as he disciplines us, Hebrews 12 talks about a a harvest of peaceful living, of right living that will be produced as a result. He's trying to make us more fruitful. He's trying to change our character when we go through difficult things. This is so important. I, I know as I look around this room, some of the difficult and painful things that some of us are going through these days, things that lead us to go, like, why, God? Like, why why have you allowed this to happen? Lori talked about some of this in her life already. 
And we'll never know the answer why. You know, why does he allow these things to happen? But one thing we can know that he wants to do through it is he wants to prune us. He wants to use those difficult circumstances in our life to kind of take off the dead, fruitless areas of our life and to grow us in him. It's not fun. It's painful. But it's part of following Jesus and growing in him. It's being pruned by him. That's how fruit is produced in our life. Propped up by the grace of Jesus and sometimes pruned through difficult circumstances so that more of his character can be put on display in us. Reading on verse 3. You, Jesus, Jesus says to his disciples, he says, you have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. As he spent a lot of time one-on-one with his disciples. Now, verse 4. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Did you hear that? That last line? This is huge, right? You cannot be fruitful, Jesus says, unless you remain in me. You want to be fruitful as a follower of Jesus? You want to see your character change, that anger that you don't know what to do with, bitterness that you don't know how to deal with, the stuff about you that you don't know how to change, that you know is not Christ-like. You want to see that change as a follower of Jesus? You want to be more loving, more patient, more kind. And don't just try harder to be loving and kind and patient and all this kind of stuff, but remain in Jesus. Instead, commit to spending time in prayer and in the scriptures and in worship of him because that is how his fruit is produced in you, by remaining in him. Not by trying harder, but by being with Jesus. Incredible. Reading on verse 5 now, Jesus basically repeats what he just said for emphasis. He says, yes. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Those who remain in me, and I in them, will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Some people read that verse, apart from me, you can do nothing, and they maybe even get a tattooed on some part of their body to remind them that they can't do anything great apart from Jesus. not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying you can't do great things apart from me. He's not talking about what you do in the world. He's talking about who you are. You want to be changed? You want to become more like Jesus? You can't on your own. Apart from me, you can't become like me. That's what he's saying. So remain in me. Commit to being with me and spending time with me. That is how you grow. That is how you are changed. Now, as we reflect on these words of Jesus in John 15, I want you to think of a time in your life where you would say you were, you were struggling spiritually. Maybe that time is now. <laughs> you felt or you feel kind of disconnected from God. Maybe you felt like God didn't love you, felt stuck in your life with God, uh, apathetic, lethargic, maybe struggling in sin. Think of a time in your life where you were struggling with sin. Here's, here's what I've observed about struggle. Personally, as someone who struggles <laughs> in my own faith journey with Jesus and sometimes feels disconnected from him or apathetic, lethargic in him. And as a pastor, as I walk with people, and sometimes people come to me and say, man, I just, I'm not growing, or I feel stuck. Here's what I've observed. It's that we struggle the most when we remain in Jesus the least. We struggle the most when we remain in Jesus the least. For me personally, 
the less time I spend in prayer and in the scriptures and in worship of Jesus, the more I end up struggling spiritually. It's not that hard <laughs> to figure out, to, to connect those dots. The less time I spend with Jesus, the more time I end up finding myself struggling. So here's, here's what I'd say to you if you find yourself struggling in your spiritual journey as we kind of limp into 2023. Whether we're talking about spiritual questions or just even financially struggling in life or relationally struggling in life, just struggling in life in general. The best thing that you can do in your struggle is get alone with Jesus and spend time in the scriptures. That's it. Yes, go to a counselor if you need to go to a counselor. Yes, do all the things that you know you should do to get help if you need help. All those things for sure. Read the books. Do all the things for sure. But the most important thing that you can do is get alone with Jesus and spend time in the scriptures to let God by his spirit prune and purify you by his word, by his message. Because if you don't do that, in your struggle, eventually you will begin to wither and to die. You know, sometimes um, as a pastor, um, I've had this happen once or twice maybe over my years as a pastor. Sometimes when people leave the church and you go and you have a meeting with them and they say, what's, what's going on? Why are you leaving? And we'll have a conversation. And in that conversation, they might say something like, I just don't feel like I'm being fed. I just don't feel like I'm being fed. Pastors hear these kinds of statements and I, feel, I just don't feel like I'm being fed by your teaching. Which, on one hand, there might be some truth to that. Like, okay, you're not connecting with my teaching. That's fine. Let's talk about that. But do you know in my, <laughs> in my unredeemed state what I want to say to those people? I'm going to tell you now because I won't tell you this in person. If ever you say to me, you're leaving, I'm just going to tell you now. This is what I want to say. I'm just not going to say it. You know what I want to say to that person? I want to say, feed yourself. Put on your big boy pants and feed yourself. What do you need me to spoon feed you? The Word of God, you have the same Bible I have. Figure it out. Feed yourself. Like, you think about it, like like a 16 or 18-year-old leading, leaving their house. Like, I just don't feel fed anymore, Mom and Dad. Like, I hope, like, it's up to you to feed yourself. You're a grown-up. Anyway, there's my little rant about that. Feed yourself. Be a self-feeder. You have the Word of God as I do. Remain in Jesus. No one's going to use that line in the future. <laughs> oh, that's good. Okay, verse 6. Anyone who does not remain in me, Jesus says, is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered to a pile to be burned because they're dead, essentially. There is no life apart from the vine. If you're disconnected, severed from the vine, you will die. Verse 7. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, Jesus says, if you're so filled with the life and word of God within you, Jesus says, and this is crazy, he says, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. That's crazy. Imagine that. You can ask for anything you want and it will be granted. I know what Jesus is saying here. He's just saying that you, can, you become like Aladdin, basically, and you got a genie in a bottle. And you just walk in like, I want that. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying that as my word remains in you and my life remains in you, your desires are going to so change that you're going to naturally want what God wants. And so when you ask for things, it's going to be what God wants. That's what you're going to ask for, and God's going to give it to you because you want what God wants. A lot of things we pray for isn't actually what God wants because we're not committed to remaining in Him. 
And then finally, verse 8 says this. When you produce much fruit, or in other words, right? When you love as Jesus loved. And when you live as Jesus lived, out of the overflow of being with Jesus and remaining in him, then, Jesus says, you are my true disciples. Then. Notice he does not say here, as a lot of churches seem to teach, that when you believe the right things theologically, then you're my true disciple. Once you figure it all out, then you're my true disciple. Or if you belong to the right denomination, church, then you're my denomination. If you follow all the rules, if you behave a certain way, then you're my true disciple. That's not what Jesus says. A lot of people believe the right things, right things about Jesus, but maybe aren't true disciples of Jesus. Because Jesus says, when you produce much fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, the character of Jesus, when you're being transformed from the inside out, bearing the character of Jesus in your life, then you are my true disciples. Jesus says, and this, he says, brings great glory to my Father. This is how you glorify God. Is having our character so changed that we can't help but love one another. Because that's who Jesus is. He is love. That's what brings glory to God. Not just doing things for Jesus and saying, God, I want to bring glory to you as I preach this sermon or if I do this thing or whatever, but by who you are, how you treat others, the character that you put on display in your life. You know, a lot of people do think that, right? They think that bringing glory to God is about the things that we do for Him, about how we serve Him, using our gifts, how holy we are, if we follow the rules. And that, that stuff matters. That's a conversation to have, but it's just, it's not what matters most. What matters most is that we understand that Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. And our primary job as disciples, as followers of Jesus, is not to do anything for God, but to simply remain connected to him, to be with Jesus. And it's a choice. It's a choice that we get to make each and every day, to be with him, to spend time with him, or not to. So, as we think about this goal of being with Jesus as we enter into the year 2023, this isn't rocket science, but how do we do it? That's the question, right? How do we live into this? Lots of things we could talk about, about how we commit to being with Jesus, remaining in him, abiding in, with him. We talk about prayer, the importance of prayer. I know for me, I've shared this with you before, I, I pray the Lord's Prayer not just reciting it mindlessly, but try to pray through it at least a few times a week. I did a sermon series on that years ago and invited you to do the same. What I encourage you to do is just slowly work through the Lord's Prayer and consider what it is that you're praying. I shared when I came back from sabbatical about the welcoming prayer. It's still on my phone. Uh, it's on Do Not Disturb right now, so you can't see it. But it's still the uh, screensaver on my phone. I talk about the importance of daily devotions shared before about the app, Lectio 365. It's a great app with a daily devotion. I encourage you to check it out. version has devotions that you can use, the Bible reading app. There's uh, emails that you can get set up. Journaling. Journaling is important, right? Writing out your prayers, processing your day before God. Worship is important. Private worship and corporate worship, being together to sing songs together, to worship Jesus together is so important. Silence and solitude, fasting, Sabbath, 
all these things are so important. But if, if there was one thing that we could do, instead of giving you a million things that you could do, if there was one thing as your pastor that I would say, hey, if we're going to commit to being with Jesus in 2023, and this is the one thing that we could all commit to doing, the one thing that I would invite you to be uh, doing is this. It's simply to spend five minutes a day in the Bible. <laughs> spend five minutes in the Bible each and every day. For some of you, you're like, five minutes? Like, I already spend 50 minutes. That's great. Keep doing that. Some of us, though, are spending zero minutes in the Bible. Commit to spending at least five minutes in the Bible with Jesus. Because if we want to know Jesus more, Jesus is the living word, right? If we want to get to know the living word better, we need to spend time in the written word. The words of Jesus to us. Jesus said in John 5, verse 39, that all of Scripture points to him. That's how you get to know Jesus best, by spending time in the Scriptures. Want to get to know Jesus better? Want to be with him, remain in him? Just five minutes. The start of your day or whatever time works best for you in the Scriptures. And here's a challenge. I want everybody to help us with this, to kind of kickstart our 2023, okay? Five minutes each and every day. The book of John, I'm preaching this morning out of John 15. The book of John has 21 chapters. It's the 8th of January. We start tomorrow. That takes us almost all the way through to the 31st. We can skip a day or two. Let's commit to reading the book of John, a chapter a day, for the month of January. We might even want to call it January. I'm just saying that it just kind of works, right? January. You're reading the book of John together through to the end of the month. Start with that. It's not hard. Five minutes a day. If you're not a reader, you can use your Bible app. It will read it for you. But just be intentional to take the Word of God into yourself. Because if we want to be close to someone, if we want to be close to Jesus, we've got to spend quality time with them. That's how relationships grow. And so there's no better place to start than with God's Word in the book of John. Can we do that? I'm seeing a couple nods. Okay, Booty's going to ask you, how's it going? Book of John. You can send me your reflections. If you have questions as you're reading through, you're like, that's confusing, because there's some confusing things in that book, in all the books. Email me. Let me know how this journey is going for you, what questions you have. We're going to post on social media some verses most days from the chapter that we would be on. Let's be engaged in the scriptures together as we commit to being with him, because that's how we get to know him best, is by spending time with him. for tuning in. We're back next week with another great message. Don't forget to check out our website, thegatheringottawa.com, and tune in next week to The Gathering Ottawa's Message Podcast.